How could that be? Okay, we are now going into Perek Ches. Perek Ches is, everyone should have a copy by this stage. Right, it took us a week, but... For sure, I have a spare copy too. So. Oh, carrying one around just in case. Keep it in your glove compartment. Yeah. Okay. We are now going into Parakhas, which is the traditional discussion that we see in Hasidis, the discussion of Yesh Ayin when dealing with Achdus Hashem. Now, this discussion is had in various different Maimarim. In particular, we see it in the first uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, maybe 5, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4 in, in uh, Shari Yuchot Vemuna. And the basic idea of this discussion is A discussion that really is an argument, and I'm going to give you a little bit of history here, between Aristotle and the Rambam. Okay? Aristotle essentially believed that there was such a thing as matter, a simple matter. He believed in God, but he believed that God was the one that took this matter and made it into a logical semblance of a world. So there was, so to speak, a primordial matter. Then along comes that always existed. God then takes this... What? He's saying pre-existed. Always existed. I, <coughs> I'm not sure if it pre-existed God or not pre-existed God. I don't know. I don't know exactly. But there's a concept that it always existed... He took this matter and then he created it into a world. He made logic out of it. Along comes the Rambam and he argues. If you look in the book called the Mara Nevuchim, right? And he argues with this point. And he argues the concept called Yesh Me'ayin. That's where we're introduced to this idea of Yesh Me'ayin. So instead of being Yesh Me'yesh, right? There's a primordial matter. And I'm just taking these Legos, for example, and making them into a building, right? Here, the Rambam argues that, in fact, there is something called Yesh Me'ayin, that God is not only creating or making, forming the world, but He is creating, right, the building blocks of the world. How is He doing it? And we then speak about the idea of making it through his speech. That's basically the concept. Right? So he's making it from himself. That's Yesh Me'ayin. Now, the logical next step in both of these arguments would be the distinction between the concept of is Hashem involved in the world or not? If, if, what? If he is, then right. it's Yesh but it's yesh miyesh, because he would be. You had a fifty percent chance of getting that right, so it was a good guess. You got it right. No. No. If you are, the basic concept is like this: if you are not creating the Legos, right? You are taking the Legos. You can make the most amazing base uh, amigdash, like we had that guy come right before Pesach, and he showed us a whole base amigdash with all the exact, uh, you know. Measurements, etc., etc., all made from Legos. But he does not have to be there. He can then return to Minnesota or wherever he lives, and he can leave the Beis Hamikdash uh, Lego model 
over here in New Jersey. Because he's not creating the actual Lego. He's taking something that already exists, and then he is what? He is forming it. He's forming it into the shape of a base of Mikdash. But he himself doesn't have to be there anymore because he never was involved in the actual creation of the building block. Masha Enkain, the whole idea that the Alter Rebbe brings out from the Rambam's point of Yeshmi Ayin is if you're creating something from nothing, then there has to be a constant involvement in bringing that yes something from the non-something. In other words, if you are now creating not just the form, taking the Legos and making them into a building, but you're actually making Legos themselves, or the atoms that create the plastic of the Legos, then you can't go out to lunch. You have to be involved constantly. So according to Aristotle, and this is the basic idea you see in most of the way the world looks at this concept, that there is a God, God created the world, and then he went off to do other things. He sits up in heaven or wherever he's sitting, and he's not involved, right? Because he doesn't have to be involved. He formed it, he made it logical, he made it work. It's the most incredible logic, it's the most incredible, right, uh, set of circumstances that he creates, that he created, and that's it. He doesn't have to be involved anymore, just like the guy that went to Minnesota, it's the most incredible thing that he's able to make this Lego uh, model of the base of Mingdash and everything is mamish to the measure and everything is, it's fantastic. But once he made it, he doesn't have to be there anymore. However, if you're going to say that he is creating the world from himself and he's creating it in a way of something out of nothing, then by definition, you're going to have to say that he has to constantly be forcing it to go, forcing it to be made, forcing it to keep on with its existence. And therefore, I'll get to that good question, and therefore, therefore, he has to be totally involved in the world in the most minutest details, constantly, all the time, i.e. hashkacha pratis. Right? Now, why? Good question. Why? Lego blocks itself from scratch. Right? Once he made it, it doesn't have to be there anymore. Okay, so the question is, who, where did they make the Lego blocks from? From the atoms and they made the plastic. Whatever. They made the plastic, right. So the plastic already existed. So as far back as you're going to go, you're always going to see a human being taking a yesh that exists already and turning it into another yesh yeah. that exists no basically already. Exactly. That's, that's what was so difficult for, that you can't, there is no example of the yesh me'ayin. Now, um, I don't know enough about quantum physics, but there is a whole world out there in quantum physics that is saying that the, the, the Plutonian or the Newtonian right, physics that we are so used to is not really the MS anymore, right? That, that, that Einstein already figured this out, you know, close to seven, you know, whatever it is, 70 years ago, that we are involved and we are, like, you can cause something because there's a quantum field and you can cause something to be in, you know, causing waves to go into particles and particles to go into waves. I, I don't really understand it, to be honest with you. But that's much more closely involved in this, in this whole concept of Yesh, you know, the idea. So where do we get Yeshmi Ayin then? One second, David. 
So yesh mi'ayin then has to be something that you're causing something to go against its nature. Because the nature is for it to be a non-thing, and you're forcing it to be a yes thing. Right? So by definition, everyone wants, everything wants to go back to its basic form, which is a, whatever the basic is, a non-thing. So even if you take a look at, for example, even if you look at um, anything that's created, right, it will always go back to its, its normal lowest common denominator, shall we say, right? So what is the lowest common denominator of a something? Really, according to what we're saying here, it's a non-thing. And therefore, it should want to go back into its normal entity, which should be a non-thing. And in order to make sure it does not, there has to be a constant force that is pushing against it, which is causing it to go against its nature, so to speak. That's basically the idea. So since Hashem, Kaviachal, is creating the world from himself, right? Because even though we say it's a, no- a nothing, it's not really a nothing. It's from Hashem. So then, therefore, the world wants to constantly be going back to its lowest common denominator, which is back to being Hashem. In order for the world to not go back to that point of view, it has to be pushed constantly, every single instant. And that's what we're going to be discussing now. Yeah, David, what's your question? Uh, with the whole analogy of a human, a normal human building in a space mix, I feel like the only way to make a real equivalent to how Hashem made the universe would be if someone somehow carved the base of Mekdash into his body, into his body, thereby it's a part of them, an extension of them, meaning they can't leave it alone. Okay, uh, not exactly. That's not, but that wasn't that wasn't the part of the muscle that we were discussing. We were discussing more the concept of. Are you creating something from something? I just chose that. I could have chosen, uh, you know, a block of silver that you're making into a kiddush cup. Same idea. Okay, let's read inside. It's a constant creation. So therefore, it has to be a constant creation. What? What did you say? Uh, If if it's if it's not constantly created, then if it's not constantly created, then it'll go back to the potential. It'll go back to nothing. Right. Exactly. Which is really going back into what its norm is, which is going back into Hashem. Right. Just like everything would just go lights out and we wouldn't realize it. Right. No, right. We're not saying it's not okay, that's a good question. Okay. So it's not nothing per se. It's nothing in terms of the way we are measuring the world. So we are measuring the world as being a something, which means a yesh, we're calling it here. Yesh means an independent feeling of existence. Right? So if you were to say, what would be the opposite of that? It would be a non-thing or a nothing. But it's not a literal nothing. In current, it is. It's really something. What is it? It's Hashem. Something not but it's not. It's something that we can't identify or we can't recognize as being its own particular, its own self-independent entity, right? The way we would experience it. So, so let's not get caught up on the word nothing because it's not really an it's not really a nothing per se in terms of oh this is nothing. It's more a non-thing in comparison to a yes thing, right? So here we look at the table as being a yes thing. It it seems to be have its own independent existence of being a piece of wood or a bunch of atoms or a bunch of quirks or whatever it happens to be. So if you were to take that away, 
right? So then it would go back to something that I can't measure. What would be something that I cannot be measured, I, that I cannot measure? I'll call that a non-thing or nothing. But that doesn't mean it is a nothing. It just means that I can't measure it. Are words a something? This is a good question. Are words, are words a something? One second, what just happened? Our words are something, right? So we have to say that it's a very good question. Is it really a something? It's a very good, it's a very good analogy. Because let's say my words right now, right, that I'm speaking. So on the one hand, I'm saying a lot of words, and I'm giving you information, and it's going into your mind and into your ears, and you are thinking about, hopefully, about the things that I'm saying. But really, is it really a, a substance so on the one hand, you have to say there is some sort of substance there. It's causing your brain to work, and it's causing my brain to work, and it's causing us to, so to speak, maybe even visualize a concept. But this is a very good way of dealing with things and recognizing, is it really a something? Is it really, how, how hard is this thing? I can't, I can't hit it. But on the other hand, you see that people, like uh, this is actually a very interesting way of dealing with people that have gone through uh, difficulties, for example. So let's say, and we're going way off topic, but let's just think about this for a second. Um, you know, someone that has an argument with someone else, right? So this person called them all these names and told them all these negative things. A person could walk around with that for years, right? And they could feel so, such hatred and angst and anxiety about this other person because of the words he said to him. Right, which are really just an expression of the emotions that that person was feeling at the time. Right, and nevertheless, you as the as the receiver could carry this around with you for twenty years, and the guy who said those words, he doesn't have those emotions anymore. But you are still carrying him around. This is one of the issues that right it talks about, like uh, you know, doctors talk about that people are causing themselves to be. Not well because of these types of situations. So this is this is an interesting yeah. whole discussion which we can get into, but it's not really uh, what this class is about. But it's very it's a very fascinating topic to get into. I mean, I shouldn't create the world with words. That's, that's okay. So the question is, why do we use words as the analogy? And so this is talked about. If you look at chapter twenty one of Tanya, we discuss this whole idea, like what's the idea of words and why do we use words as an analogy. Right? And is it to be taken literally or not really? Literally. Okay, so that's a, that's a discussion. Let's go inside. Let's read a little bit. It says like this. Ach, be'emes. Let's go deeper. Ach, in truth, yuvan. Right? We're on Ches, page Tzadik Vav. Ach, be'emes, yuvan. Shegam ha'olamaz kamo shehem ata. So even the world's the way they are now. Shehem metzias, a yesh. That they are a metzias, they are a form, and they're a yesh. Right? That they, they feel themselves to be self-independent existences, right, that do not need anything else to keep them going, right? We do not feel like we need anything to keep us going. We feel like, our, you know, we're, we're an island in the river, right? That's it. We're, we're you know, we, we don't need anything. We're not, not, we're not being created by anything. We're just being here. That's how we are created to feel. In other words, it's not that we're making a mistake here in terms of what, we're, what we were you know, we're just missing the whole thing in terms of what we were created to feel. No, Hashem created us this way, that this is the feeling that we have. This is the way we perceive the world, right? He created us this way. Mikol Malkom, however, 
Really, even though we feel, from our perception point of view, we feel to be this way, we're bottled, we're nullified out of our metzias, out of our form, the Ebishter himself. So we have to understand, what does that mean? So now we're shifting. Instead of saying what we said before, in Parag Zion, that it's a precarious existence that's based on a set of rules and a set of circumstances. Now we're saying, wait a minute, forget that whole story. We Do we, do we even have a Metzius of a Yesh at all? Because now we're going, instead of looking at the creation of being, the gradual creation from Bria to Yetzirah to Asiya, now we're talking about from Matzilus, which is Malchus Matzilus is the source of the worlds of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya. Right, which is a non-thing compared to a yes thing. Right, when you're talking about bria, you're already talking about entities that experience their existence as being a yesh. Right, a malach experiences his existence as being a yesh. He's totally bottled to Hashem, but he still has his own identity. It's malach mechoel versus when we talk about chesed of atzilus. Chesed of atzilus is just the chesed of Hashem manifested in or with or and kalim. Here, when you talk about malach mechol, malach mechol is already experiencing life as being his own, his own self, amalach, and not just Hashem, an expression of Hashem. Yes, he's totally bottled to Hashem. He's bottled in terms of the way he is. He's the malach of chesed. But he has an identity. So when we're talking about going from malach mechal down to this world, you're talking about Perak Zion. You're talking about something that was a yesh, and it has a input into all the things that are happening below it, right, in a way of giving over a certain amount of energy. But when we jump up to Malchus of Atzilus, now we're not talking anymore about something that exists, is giving more hashpa into something that is existing. Here we're talking about something that doesn't exist, so to speak, from our perspective, creating something that does exist. Nothing to something. Let's read in the words. <laughs> that the Inyan is, that with the ten utterances the world was created. Like, with, like it says, with the words of Hashem, the heavens were created. <laughs> that the bringing into existence of worlds. Is coming out from the supernal speech, which is the idea of Malchus. Abatzilus, like it says, let there be light, and there was light, right? let there be a firmament, and there was a rakia. let there be the planets, the the constellations, the sun, the moon, etc. Then there were the sun, the moon, etc. So that's how we begin the chumash in Parshas Breishis, right? and we also say in in Tehillim. And this is what we quote right in the first parak of Shari Yichud Vemona. The Tehillim says, Le'aylam Hashem divarcha nitzeh b'shamayim. Forever Hashem, your words are standing in the heaven. Shahadvar Hashem, the words of Hashem, Oymed tamid b'shamayim, are constantly standing in the heavens. La'havoysa, in order to do two things. Number one, to bring it into existence. La'havoysa means to bring it into existence. Means 
to give it life, to give it energy. Mi'ayin liyesh, from a non-being to a yes-being. Ve'im haya mistalek, the next word should say, mimenu, and if those words, those letters, that energy, would disappear from whatever the thing is that we're talking about, karega, even for an instant, now, what does it mean, ayin ve'epis? So, Hasidus speaks about the idea that Hashem began by thinking, and then he went into speech, and created through speech. Right? Just like we have the power through our speech to create ideas in someone else's mind and bring out things, right? But the idea of speech is a limitation that is much more limited than thought. Right? So what we're saying here is if it would disappear the speech, the letters of Hashem. So number one, it would go back to the state of Ayin, which is the state of the way Hashem thought the world. Number two, it would go back to a state of Ephes, which is the idea of the way the world was before he even thought the, about the world. So it would be non-existent from an absolute manner, as though it never existed. That's the way it works. Now, with that in mind, the Inyan, he savos ha'olamos, the idea of the bringing into existence of worlds, ain't ze ka'asher yodse kli. It's not similar to the idea of the making of a vessel. Why? Shahakli hi dover nifrad meha'uman. Because the actual vessel itself is separate from the artisan that creates it. And therefore it's able to exist in its form even when the artisan is not there. That even if the artisan goes and walks away from the marketplace, the kli is still in its form. Meaning what? Meaning that if you go to uh, if you go to to a borough park, you will see in a silver store a lot of kiddush cups. You do not need the person who designed the kiddush cup to be standing on top of it saying, "Stay there, don't move." You know, or I'm making this. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Now, the reason why we're going to say in a minute is because he didn't really create anything. What he did, don't tell that to the guy. No, he did, what he did was he took something that is already existing, a yesh, i.e. a block of silver, and he applied his creative ability from his mind, because he obviously has a talent, and he's able to be an artist that has certain ideas in terms of design, and he imprinted it upon that piece of silver, and he went away. So he took something that already exists, and he made it, he reformed it, and he impressed upon it his design from his mind. That is called forming a yesh into another yesh. (coughs) Everyone's with me? So what you see in that Kiddush cup, in fact, tells us a lot about the actual person that created it. In other words, you could say, and that's what people often do with art, is that you can read up, you could understand a lot about the person based on the art. Right? Or let's say, 
let's use a different, let's use a little bit of a more refined concept. What about a poem? A poem, right, is a piece of art that's not in a physical form per se. In a certain way, it's in a spiritual form. Okay, we're using letters that we write on a piece of paper or type on a piece of paper to bring out a certain idea. Right? For example, um, there's, a, there's a type of poetry from Japan called haiku. Haiku is like you use like a certain amount of syllables and whatever, like seven, nine, seven, whatever it is. I don't remember exactly. But it's, it's meant to bring a, a person, when they read these words, to a certain feeling. Every poet is supposed to do that. But this is the very, using a very little, very little words or very little sounds or whatever to bring you to that place. Now, once again, what are we doing? We're taking sounds that we know, words that we know, and we are now forming them in a certain way that will bring the receiver to a certain energy, to a certain feeling, to a certain thought. But what has he really done? First of all, the poet has invested himself into the poem. So you can learn a lot from poetry. Where is the mind of the poet? Or from a book. Where is the mind of the author? Just like a painting. Where is the mind of this painter? But his goal is in the painting, or in the poetry, or in the book, is to bring a person to another place. That's the idea. When a person looks at the Kiddush cup, he should say, wow, that is a beautiful work of art. So on the one hand, he is investing himself. But he's not investing himself in terms of the bringing into existence of the entity. He's taking an existing thing and he is making it beautiful, we'll call it. Hashem is doing both. And from that, you could see two aspects of Hashem in a certain way. I mean, that's not what the Maimar is saying right here. We talked about it in other Maimar. But in a certain way, when you look at nature, you could see the art, the artist within Hashem. You could see that Hashem loves all these different various colors, for example. He could have made the word black and white. He didn't. He made a million different hues of the color blue, for example. Right? So that, in essence, is a certain aspect of Hashem impressing upon the world this beauty, this perspective. On the other hand, what we're talking about here is not so much that as much as He's bringing into existence this entity. Now, since, as we're saying, he's bringing into existence this entity, and he's bringing it into existence in a way of going from a non-entity to a yes entity, therefore, he has to constantly be involved. Now, we didn't get to that point yet. We're up to that. But let's look at it a little bit more, and then, and then we have to stop. So he said, the guy who made the Kiddush cup, he can go walk around the shuk. The uman she'asa kli hare asa yesh me yesh. Because the uman that made the kli, he made something from something else. 
Shagam shekaidim she'asa haya yesh, because even before it was created, it was in existence. Rak shebetchila haya chaymer, but before it was a chaymer, it was a, a blob of matter. Kamo chatichas kesef, like a, a, a piece of silver or zahab or gold. Vahauman lo chidush badavar. And the, the uman, the artisan, did not make anything new. Rak Masha Asa Batsura. He just made the form of it to, to be this beautiful image of a, a grape on the, uh, on the Kiddush cup, for example. Avaloshe Chidush Be'etzim Dabar. But he didn't make something new in the actual thing itself, in the actual matter. Sha'asa Dabar Melo Dabar. However, the idea of that he didn't do, he didn't make a Dabar from a non Dabar. He didn't make matter from non-matter. He took matter and he changed the shape of it. Therefore, it's able to be that the Kiddush cup will stay without the Uman. But with regards to the bringing into existence of a world, it's a creation of something from nothing. It's a making of something new which was never there before. So let's say now we're talking about not the changing of matter, the shape of the matter, but it's the actual, where did that silver come from in the first place? So you could say, oh, well, you know, he found it in the ground in little pebbles and then he melted it together to make a piece of silver. Okay, good. Okay, where did those pebbles come from? Well, it was, uh, you know, brought together from... At a certain point, you have to keep on going back and back and back. You have to say, where did they come from? And then you're stuck. Where did they come from? They were a non-being, and now all of a sudden they're a yes-being. That's where we're talking. Okay, we'll stop here for today. We have to develop this conversation in a much more... uh,